But talking about a test and talking about the test of our intellect and what they did for us all those years ago and what men and women are doing today. But what a journey we are on as a church. Are we? Honestly. Seven years now for us in our journey. Um, 17 years in Mount Street. We've been part of this church now 19 years. 19 years. And actually, man, that's, that's good innings. Oh, 19 years. It just seemed like yesterday that we walked in with our little Tamariki. Um, at that stage, we only had five kids. Just a small family. And, um, <laughs> and it grew since then. And now we've got a whole tribe. Anyway, we can well. Let's just carry on. So, but, you know, I just get asked this question. Why did you sell? You know, and really, it's really about the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Our building was great. It was comfortable. Right? It was it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. But it also came with this huge mortgage. And after 17 years, we the mortgage was still ginormous. Right? It was still big. Uh, it was still out there. But with the step down and actually sell, it's easier said than done. It, it really is. Because I'm really comfortable a lot in this building. It's, it's a really nice building. It's, the lights are nice. All that I need is here. Lord, it's, it, it, it's a good building. The, the parking is spacious, Lord. It's, it's, it's really, really good. I raised my kids in this building. This building is home. But when God prompts you, oh boy, I'm like, Lord, why now? Why am I the pastor that you've called to take this in? Why me? All the other people. Why now? Why, why is it to step into the unknown? Right? I, I, I haven't got the skills for this, Lord. I'm just a Bible teacher. That's all I am. And, and I began to tell people what we did, and people going, oh, so, oh is this what you're doing? Right, so what's the next step? <laughs> What's the next step? I'm like, I don't really, I don't know. And they kind of look at you like you're crazy, right? And they look at you like you're, there's something wrong with you. And all I'm like, all I know is that God is a plan A and there is no plan B. And I'm not sure all I'm just trusting and I'm walking and I'm moving. And, and so we did it. And here we are. And, and for the first time in seven years, 17 years, first time in 17 years, we are, we are a debt-free as a church. No building, but they're free. No building, but they're free. Praise God. And God is still our plan A. He's still our plan A. And I don't know, has anybody ever been through testing in life before? Right? And here we are. We're on this kind of journey. We're, on, we're, we're going through a bit of test right now. If you're looking for a title for today's message, it is Test or Comfort. Test or Comfort. You know, I, I enjoy comfort. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy comfort. Right? See, a test is a way to... to to measure, um, uh, to measure a person, right? To, to measure someone's knowledge or, or someone's skill or resolve. Uh, you need to pass a test to drive. Well, you're supposed to pass the test to drive. <laughs> right? right? You, you, you know, if, if I'm going to go and have brain surgery, I want to make sure that the surgeon who's working with me has at least passed the medical exam. Right? It brings certainty. So when we go through tests, and tests are designed and they're given to so that we can measure up and how we're doing and, and how we're tracking. And, and we, ex, we experience tests all the time, uh, especially when we have to make difficult decisions like selling a building or not and things like that. And in, fact, in fact, moments there are moments in life where, where things test our character. Test our character. We may call these tests trials, you know, and that's, in fact, being tested is a big part of being human, of being a human being, which is which is of no, which is probably why it's of no surprise that being tested is also a biblical design pattern. 
When we look at scripture, being tested is a biblical design pattern. I mean, the first test of faith for human beings is introduced on the first few pages of our Bibles in the book of Genesis, uh, where, where Genesis 3, God gives Adam and Eve a test, right? They say, hey, look, you guys, see all these fruit-bearing trees? Help yourself. Eat as much as you like. Go for it. And, yet, and, and by the way, I've got this great gift I'm going to give to humanity. It's called the tree of life. And it's a free gift. It's, it's called the gift of eternal life. You eat of this tree. And it'll not only nourish you, but you'll live forever. Incredible. I'm gifting this tree to you. It's from me to you. Right? But there's just one tree. That, just don't eat of that tree. That's all I'm asking. Right? The tree of the knowledge of what is good and bad. Just that tree. Just don't eat that tree. One test. Right? And of course, humanity failed that test. What I was just going to tell everyone is when you go to the toilet, uh, it's dirty over there. Please do not walk on the grass. See, you know, as soon as you tell someone that, what do they do? Walk on the grass. We see a sign that says, please stay off the grass. People walk on it. Don't touch wet paint. So what do you do? Oh, really? That's <laughs> what we do. Right? We just can't help ourselves. We just, we just kind of like natural law breakers. <laughs> you know, speed says. Anyway, am I, am I talking to someone here right now? Anyway, here we go. You, you know, so you never that fell the test. And so you think, why would God test us anyway? Why would God test us anyway? And test proves what's inside of you, it proves your resolve. When my son when my, my son went for his rugby trials, like, you know, he, when he went for his rugby trials, he had to be tested. And I wanted him to be tested. Right? Not because I, I wanted him to, to suffer. Not because I wanted because I'm an evil dad, because I knew what was inside of him. I knew that I, I, I knew that he was going to overcome this test. I knew that he was going to overcome this trial and I was and I was born. I believed in him. Right? And and there's a big difference between someone that who, who has good intentions for you and someone who doesn't. Because there's an enemy out there they'll, they'll, that they will bring these these tests and turn into temptations. Because they don't want you to pass the test. Right, and they'll say, "All right." And so, the, there's a good God who's, who's got good, who's got good intentions for you, and there's an enemy out there that's trying to lead you to another direction and giving you another test, or what we call temptations out there. And it's always before us. And God designed humans to be co-creators and co-rulers with Him, and this is what it means for us to be made in His image. Right? This is this is exactly what it means, and which means that that God gives us this opportunity to be truly human in the way God intended, and it's also a test. It's also a test and because God knows what's inside of you. He knows what's inside of you. And, and, um, and the verse I really want to talk about today has really been a verse that has encouraged me while we've been on this journey. And I've said this, this verse many times. And it's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 in the New Testament. We go to the New Testament, verse 8 says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. And I was going, I don't know exactly what Abraham's feeling right now. Going up where we don't know where we're going. Now, an inheritance means that you, in order to receive an inheritance, you step into it, you receive it, right? And an inheritance means it's got nothing to do with how good you are. An inheritance has, has nothing to do with even how bad you are, right? It's all to do with who you are, right? And so this is what an inheritance, so this inheritance that God has for us, it's, it's based upon who we are and it's who he is. And get this, get this, Abraham would never have stepped into his inheritance if he stayed where it was comfortable. If he stayed to where, where, oh man, I, I know this area. It's got a good car park, and, it's, and I, I know this area. I know where my seat is when I walk in. 
Like, right, I'm always sitting on this side, and at the moment someone's sitting on my seat. That's okay, I'm gracious. I'll just send it to you over there, so make sure they're not there next week. You know, and so it's like very gracious people. <laughs> right? No one, no one in this church. No one in here. Right? And, so, and so here we go. So, so let's go to where the story's first mentioned in our Bibles. And we go to Genesis, where, where Hebrews picks it up, but this is where it's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 12, verse, verse 1. This is what it says. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Right? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. Right? And so this is this is the call of Abraham. This is the, the family. And then what follows that? And, and, and uh, we're blessed, you, we're blessed. We're, so all these kind of blessings, the, the Abrahamic blessings and Abrahamic covenant, and all these things coming from this verse. So when God calls Abraham to leave his country, his home, it was a test. Abraham, leave everything. And go. Go. Which is what's He obeys and he passes the test. So it's like, tick, Abraham, well done. Good on you, mate. The great job. At first things go well. Oh, but when we read the narrative in Genesis, we quickly find out that Abraham begins to fail test after test after test after test. And I don't think is this supposed to be the man of great faith? The man that fails test after test after test. He lies to protect himself. When we read the narrative, he lies to certain kings. Oh, you know. Sarah, my wife, she's not. She's actually my sister. Mm-hmm. Right? If you read that, pretty weird. weird to, so. He doesn't answer just once or twice. He wants to protect himself. And then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Right? They begin to they abuse one of their servants to, to, to scheme to get a son their own way. And, and why? Because God promised Abraham. God promised Abraham that, says that you and Sarah will have a child. Right? That's Thanks God, that's a great promise. There's only one problem. God, I don't know if you know this, but I'm 75 and there is 65. I don't know if you know. Is anybody here in the 60s planning to have a baby? <laughs> right? I don't know. I'm not sure part of this is prophetic. I know why God I know why God, I know why God rested on the seventh day, you know, he rested. He rested. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble right now. I've <laughs> got lots of colors back up. Anyway, Abraham. Abraham. <laughs> right, so he promises, hey, God promises Abraham and Sarah, you know, I'm, I'm, you're going to have a child. This, this is the child of the promise. Right? And, and they're like, yes, God. Yes, God. You're on plan A. Yes, God. We totally trust in you. It seems crazy to everyone else. I know we're very old right now, but we trust that you're the miracle worker. You know, our provider, you know, and you're doing the gyro. You, you are the one, but but just in case, God, just in case, we've got plan B. Just in case you didn't quite, didn't pay enough attention and realize how old we are. We've got plan B for you, so um, we've got the scheme. We're going we're gonna to come up with this. And so this is what they do. They, they begin to abuse the Egyptian slave. They abuse the Egyptian slave, Hagar, which is a little twisting, right, because... Because years and years later, their descendants will find themselves being abused by their Egyptian masters in Egypt. So there's this twist, there's this flip. So here we have the father of the Israelites now abusing the Egyptian slave. And in the future, it's switched over. A little twist there, interesting. <laughs> Nevertheless, so Hagar, Hagar conceives Abraham's first son, Ishmael. The very first son, plan B, God, we helped you up. We thought, you need a bit of hand? Let's help you up. Definitely not passing the test. Definitely not passing the test. But here's, I love this, because God doesn't give up on Abraham. And neither does God give up on you when you fail. 
And when I read Abraham, I say, would you idiot? I can't believe he did all these things. Then I look at my own life and I realize, oh, actually, actually, oh my gosh. Oh, actually. It's, 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 uh, and I, I realize that I failed test after test after test. But it gives me great joy when I realize that God never gives up on Abraham. He doesn't give up on you. You might hear a failed test. Anyone here failed, failed something and you, and, and you, and you knew, you do. This is not what God wanted you to you do. And, and it just takes me from, from bad to worse, right? And this gives us great joy that God has not given up on you. And he will never give up on you. And so God doesn't give up on Abraham. And, 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 and so God gives him an opportunity. And he gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. So let's go to Genesis 22. This is what it says in verse 1. This is what it says. You see, after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Oh my gosh, this this took a dark turn. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what am I reading it? So this is the climax of Abraham's story. This is the climax of the story. And does this passage, passage sound familiar? Because it forms a pair with a test from Genesis chapter 12. What we just read. It's a pair. It forms it. And it's the same kind of phrasing in Hebrew. Go from your country to the land I will show you. Right? It's almost as if Abraham's story could not come to an end without God testing him once again the same way. Go to the land of Moriah. Right? His last thing. So God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Oh my goodness. You know, and so God was like, you know, go sacrifice your only son, Isaac. Because you know what? You're willing to abuse others to get what you wanted. You're, you're willing to abuse others to get your plan B. So are you obedient to submit before my will and begin to sacrifice my plan A? Sacrifice what you've been waiting since you're 75 and now you're, you're over 100 when... When, when, when he was born, so you went, that was 25 years of waiting, and he came. But now you're willing to offer him to lay it all down, right? I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. He does it. It's almost like he learns his lesson, and he does it. But in the last moment, God stops him, and he provides a substitute animal in place of his son. Beautiful stories, beautiful picture. God then fulfills his promises through Abraham's family, because he passed the test. He finally passed the test. So God blesses him, and through him comes the amazing the, the amazing promise. And, and his thing, throughout Abraham's life, Abraham had proved to be fully trust, a trustworthy partner. But God promised that one day, one day someone will come who will truly will be trustworthy, right? who will be the one that will come to pass the ultimate test. I, I, I don't know, you probably want to pick this up as I was saying this, because I was really emphasizing something when I was reading Genesis 22. Because you probably would have picked up when I, when you probably noticed the verse 2, when I said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Because I know, I know what you're thinking, you probably think, wait a minute, isn't Isaac a second son? I know that's what you're thinking, right? And, and you're thinking, yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? And you think, wait, this, isn't Isaac, it's not his only son. He's not the only son. He's the second son. He's the second born. He's the latecomer. Ishmael's the firstborn, right? And, and firstborn gets the firstborn blessings. 
Firstly, he's the latecomer. He's the, he's the latecomer. And so what's going on in this passage? Right, because Ishmael was plan B. <laughs> Isaac's plan A, but he came later. So what's going on? I love it because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it begins to summarize this, this passage of 22. And it says it like this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering, offering up his only son. His only son. And you're like, wait, now, the writer of Hebrews kind of forgot him about Ishmael. Now, even the writer of Hebrews summarizing and he's still calling him his only son. What's, what's, what's going on here? Because here's the thing, the Greek term, the Greek term for this word only son is the word monogeneus. Monogeneus. And, and what this word means, it means uniqueness. Monogeneus means uniqueness. Ishmael was not the son of the promise. He was, he was, he was not promised of God, but Isaac was the son of the promise. Why? Because he was miraculous, miraculously born. You know, Sarah was a 90 years old. Not too many 90-year-olds are giving birth right now. Right? In fact, I don't have any 90-year-olds giving birth right now. So he was miraculously born. Back in the other day, he was, he was, he was a monogeneus. He was unique. There was no one like him. There was nothing like this. And it's the same Greek word found in John 3.16 describing Jesus. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his monogamous. He gave his, his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, there's nothing in this passage to suggest that Jesus had a beginning. Right? Because sometimes we read this and go, because some, some, some translations unfortunately use the word begotten. The word begotten means it had a, had a beginning. And this is where it started. But that's not what monogamous means. Monogamous means uniqueness. There's none other like him. Yes, God has sons. Yes, the sons of God. You read them through. Yes, there's many other. But this son of God is like, no, there's none like the son of God. He is so unique. He is God incarnate. Come and flesh and love the world so much that he stepped into his creation and became the human being, Jesus, and dies on the cross to set you free. This is monogamous. This is what John is saying. For God so loved the world that he gave us monogamous. There is no one like him. Because he is one that ultimately passes the test. Where we fail. And so Genesis chapter 22 is connected to John 3.16. It's connected. Because in Genesis 22, an exchange is happening. Right? Exchange is happening. A ram goes in the place of Isaac. Which points to the to the great exchange that happened at the cross. Yeah. The great exchange that happened at the cross. With the Son of God, the monogamous. The Son of God, the monogamous, taking the place of humanity. And just like God spares Isaac, God spares humanity because he takes the cross on himself. Yeah. He takes it on himself. Jesus offered up his own life as a sacrifice. He lays down his own life. To cover for all the failed tests of humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on, on the behalf of all of us. He did it for all of us. This is amazing. It's amazing. It, it, this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be great in our lives. Like, oh man, now that Jesus set me free, life is going to be roses. He's so good, he's going to walk in this blessing, the door's open, the birds are going to sing, and things like that. He's going to open up the door, and there's police cars chasing another car, and all these things are going to, oh, no, oh, sorry, is that just Norton? I'm not sure, sorry. It means that 
It means that we are going to face our own test every day. That's what it means. We're going to face our own test every day. We will pass some and we will fail others. Right? Believe me, you will fail something. But you know what? It forces us to trust God. It forces us to trust God in a radical new way. Right? And yes, this test can be difficult. And yes, it's often painful. It's often painful. But remember, the test is from a good God. Right? So remember who the test is from. It's from a good God. A good God who believes in you. Who's for you. A good God who gives you an opportunity. What does this opportunity look like? Right? When we go through tests, it looks like this goodness. That God gives us an opportunity to reflect His goodness in this situation. <laughs> It may, the situation may be, everything's against you. Everything's against you, but right here, right now, I'm still going to reflect this goodness. It's an opportunity. I can, I can get better, or, or, I can, or I can begin to, to be the blessing that God has called me to be in this situation. The choice is mine. There's what, which path do I go? There's times I fail, times I just want to give up. Times I just, Lord, I just want to get out of bed. Lord, I just want to stay. Do I have to get up? And then my wife reminds me, you're the pastor, you've got to eat it something. <laughs> this is an opportunity to reflect his goodness in every situation. It's also an opportunity to, to learn from our mistakes and, and learn to grow, ultimately shaping our character for the better. This is these tests that we go through. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, he begins to say that we should be grateful when trials and, and tests come our way because they offer us this gift, this, this gift is to, where we can grow and we can be strengthened. Because a test develops character and improves what's inside of you. That's what it does. That's what it does. And you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a lot of tests right now. It's obviously, God wants to develop your character. Because we must have a lot of character to develop, Lord. A test test develops character and improves what's inside of you. Improves what's inside of you. Even if things are going against you, come on, you stand up and be counted. And I'm going to bless. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a blessing to those around me. And this is what I am. And this is who I am. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to stand. And I know that in the storm, you're with me, Lord. I'm not alone on this journey. This thing, do you know why another name for the Holy Spirit is Comforter? You ever wonder why, you know, yeah, Jesus says, you know, Coming. You know why the whole, another name for the Holy Spirit is comforter? Because sometimes when we are tested, we're going to need a comforter. Some of these tests I go through, so I really need the comforter right now. Because the things that God is going to call you into are, are never going to be comfortable. They're never comfortable. In fact, one of the greatest inhibitors to our growth as Christians is comfort. It's comfort. See, when you're, com when you're comfortable, you do nothing. When you're comfortable, you don't step up, you don't try anything new. Because I'm just comfortable right now, Lord. I'm just comfortable. The Holy Spirit is nudging you and saying, hey, tell someone about the hope that you have. Right? But, but I'm comfortable. And hey, invite someone to church, but I'm, I'm comfortable in my workplace. I'm comfortable in my place of education. Right? You're blessed to be a blessing, so why not bless people on our serve team? But I'm comfortable. Once you join a community where you can begin to grow in your faith and begin to grow relationships, I'm comfortable. 
problem with being comfortable is that you never get to know the comforter. You never get to be led by the comforter. See, a test develops character and it proves what's inside of you. It's time to trust the comforter. Right? See, we're in transition right now. This is what we are. We're in transition. And, and as a church, we have an opportunity to, su- to surrender to God's wisdom. Because you know what? Honestly, it just seems like foolishness to me. Seriously? It seems like foolishness. But we have this opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus. Jesus is the one who loves us, who passed the test on our behalf. See, I'm excited for our future. I I really am. I'm excited for God's plan for us as a church. I really am. And I'm excited for the opportunity that, that, that God has given us to bless our community. But I know it's going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Even coming here is a little uncomfortable. Now, are you okay to be uncomfortable? See, if, if you're okay to be comfortable, and guess what? The comforter is here. He's here. He's leading us. He's guiding us. The one who knows what's inside the testing that you're finding right now. The test develops character and proves what's inside of you. It's time to trust the